Morning, everyone. Uh, everyone doing good? You all warmed up and everything, ready to go? All right, all right, awesome. Hey, uh, I want to talk today about a spiritual gift with a particular focus on the gift of tongues. And uh, I've mentioned the gift of tongues a, a few times in recent weeks. And if you were here two weeks ago, I kind of accidentally um, entered into giving a, a prayer in tongues from the front here. And then we, we did that and, and had the interpretation of it. But uh, today, what I want to do is follow that up by actually looking at some of the biblical basis for this as a gift, how it's to operate, uh, you know, you know, how it can be a blessing in our lives, and and uh, answer some of the questions about it, okay? But you know what, before I do that, I, I want to uh, introduce an old friend, okay? You don't bump into too many people you haven't seen for 20 years, but Randy, would you stand up? This is Randy Terrell, a friend of ours from Owasso, Michigan. And uh, Randy was there when I processed through uh, not believing in the gifts of the Spirit to believing in the gifts of the Spirit. And Randy was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in town. I was a pastor of Grace Bible Church, and uh, we, we spent time together. Of course, you know our story when I, when I came to the point that I decided the gifts of the Spirit at least could be potentially alive today. Uh, we ended up leaving Grace Bible Church and moving to uh, Champaign, Illinois to learn about the gifts of the Spirit just to see what you know, God was going to show us. And Randy's church, uh, in just this amazing blessing, gave us $200 as a gift and just said, thank you for, <clears throat> thank you for serving the community. And um, that's always stood out to us as a, an incredible blessing. So, Randy, thank you for that, and just thank you for being here today. It's awesome, awesome to have you here. Thanks for following the spirit. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll do our best to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Let me start with this quick story. Okay, I, I've shared this story, and someone told me I didn't end it. And so tell me, you can tell me if you remember it or not, but uh, I shared the story of how when the church started uh, 14 years ago, we were having a, um, a prayer training meeting in our home and a number of people sitting around the living room. And I really felt like God was impressing me to give a message in my prayer language and then have someone interpret it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't want to do this. Because i, I got to tell you, it's embarrassing. You feel kind of foolish when you do that, and you think everybody in the room is going to think you're an idiot. And especially, particularly, this one young guy sitting across the room who was a businessman. And I sat there, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, if I do this, I'll never see this guy again. You know, he'll be gone. It'll, he'll, just be, he'll just never come back. But I really felt like God was pressing it on my heart, so I said, okay, I'll do it. And... Uh, do you remember this story? Okay. Um, how many of you remember the ending to it? I told the ending in some services and not in others. Okay. So, at any rate, um, I did it thinking, okay, this guy's gone. I just chased this you know, guy away from the church. And uh, here's the end. Next time I saw him, he said, oh, man. He said, that was the coolest thing I have ever seen. Then he said, I told my wife about it, and she was really upset that she wasn't there to hear it too. And so all my fears and anxieties were uh, you know, pretty much um, <clears throat> unfounded there. But uh, th- this gift of, of tongues can cause some anxiety, can it? 
Yeah, it does. It, it causes for some people, some people just, you know, feel uh, maybe a sense of like they're being judged as inadequate or uh, that some of us have uh, past experiences with this that bring up maybe thoughts of shame or uh, just just questions about it that uh, that leave us wondering, um, you, you know, what it means. Uh, it seems like there's so many of the gifts that we can talk about. Well, in fact, let's read this list in 1 Corinthians 12, okay? Let's just read through this quickly. Here in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, what the Apostle Paul is doing is addressing the public use of spiritual gifts in the church. And the church at Corinth had uh, kind of gone to seed on this, uh, this gift of tongues and any given service that they had was kind of like the Wild West show of tongues uh, for, you know, for, for that service. And so Paul's writing to them, bringing everything into perspective. And, and so he's really addressing mainly the public use of the gift of tongues. And, and we'll talk about what that means later. Uh, and the idea that there can be a private devotional use of the gift of tongues is something that he implies and that I infer, but it's, it's not what he's teaching on directly. But I'll show you where, where, we, where we believe that it's clearly uh, implied that there is a private devotional use of tongues as well as a public use of tongues. But here, uh, in, in these first verses, he's talking about these gifts, you know, all of the gifts, whether it's the gift of administration, uh, hospitality, uh, tongues, um, prophecy, whatever it is, is supernatural. Uh, the gift of helps is a supernatural gift. And when a person exercises their gift in just in a yielding to the spirit of God, it releases the kingdom of God. So they're all supernatural. These, these passage, these gifts listed here in first Corinthians 12, they seem to have like, it seems clearer to us in our thinking that they're supernatural, okay? All of them are, but these ones are maybe a little more clearly that according to our mindset and and view of life. But um, starting in verse 8, he says, to one, to one person is given through the Spirit uh, the utterance of wisdom or a word of wisdom, a message of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by this one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and, inter- and to another interpretation of tongues. Now we look at these, uh, wisdom is something I can relate to, so it's a little bit easier for me to grasp God dropping a message of wisdom into someone's mind. That, that's what he's talking about, a word of wisdom. Knowledge is something I can easily relate to. So the idea that God would drop a bit of information into someone's mind to enable them to minister to someone else, I can relate to that. That's, doesn't, that doesn't sound odd, does it? I mean, it sounds pretty natural, pretty normal uh, kind of thing we'd expect God to do. Uh, faith, there's a gift of faith where God drops faith into the person. It's not our faith. He, it's his faith. He drops it into us. And then either for that moment or for that season of time, we have this incredible, we have just this incredible confidence in God and what he's going to do. 
Randy and I were just talking about uh, the potential for him to uh, plant a church. And I pray for you that God will just fill you with the gift of faith for a whole season of time to do that. And uh, not just for the moment. Like there's a momentary where like I'm going to pray for this person. But I I pray, Randy, that uh, there just be this infilling of faith and release of a supernatural gift of faith for you that will carry you through the whole thing. And for your wife. It will just carry you through the whole thing. Oh. <laughs> no. That's cool. So Jonah. Okay, that's good. And if you don't know, Jonah was trying to run away from what God wanted him to do. And uh and so God had him swallowed by a whale. And uh <laughs> Not a good way to get turned around, is it? But uh, Randy, he was gracious to you. You got a speeding ticket. Okay, okay. But you see, here's how God works. God spoke to him. God spoke to Randy and said, where are you going so fast? That's how God works. You know, this natural thing happens. And then God speaks to me and says, well, where are you headed so fast? And obviously the wrong direction as well. And so uh, th- that would be like a prophetic insight or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. I, you, you could dissect that differently. But uh, working of miracles, um, gifts of healing and working of miracles, uh, you know, we at least have a concept for that. Prophecy, I think here in this church body, we're, we're getting to understand prophetic gifting more and more. Um, but then when it comes to distinguishing between spirits, um, here's how I look at it. Okay, my, this is a weird meter. This is zero over here. And knowledge, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the weird meter might go up just a little bit, not much. Miracles, it might go up a little bit further. And maybe healing, some people might think it's up here. But when we get to discernment of spirits, it's, you know, it's up like that. And discernment of spirits is the ability to, to understand what is happening. Like it could be with a group of people. Um, you know, like honestly, sometimes we come in and... The whole church is flat. And I say, okay, is the moon in a funny phase? Is, uh, or is everybody just so cold that they're you know, shivering or what? It, because what could be at work there is just simply everyone's tired. You know, it's just the humans, human, humanity at work. But uh, sometimes it, we, we look at what's happening. We say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. So discerning of spirits is the ability to look around and see where the Holy Spirit's working. And in ministering to an individual, uh, the, the discerning of spirits would give you the ability to determine, is this person just struggling with some stuff? Or to what degree is there some demonic involvement in it? And, and what's happening with all of that? So with discerning of spirits, the weird meter might go over like this. But when it comes to tongues, where does it go? The weird meter. It spikes the other direction. I can't turn my arm that way. It spikes that direction. And there are reasons for that. One of them is real simple. It's the language we use. You know, in Greek, the word is, uh, is glossolalia. And what it means is tongue. But in Greek, the word tongue referred sometimes to the organ in your mouth. But just as often, if not more often, it referred to languages. Now, in English, when we say the word tongue... 90% of the time, it refers to the thing in our mouths. Or if you ever seen a beef tongue at the meat market, and you see that big slab of tongue. I mean, it's not very appealing. There's no, I mean, it's weird. Why would anyone even want to eat that? I don't know. But 
We think of tongues as languages, that's a rare usage for us. And so the very fact that we translate it and it has become culturally known as the gift of tongues just makes it weird uh, from the outset. But as well, there are some historical factors in the whole thing. And uh, going back to the beginning of the 20th century and the, the Pentecostal uh, beginnings at Azusa Street and the big revival that occurred at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, just a, a wonderful outpouring of God's Spirit that kicked off the whole Pentecostal movement. Uh, and uh, the, the, these people that had not experienced God's presence were experiencing the Holy Spirit being poured out on them in a powerful way. And, and it, oftentimes when that happened, these people were, were praying in tongues and, and, and worshiping God with languages that they didn't know just spontaneously. And so this movement developed the theology that speaking in tongues is the sign that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit or the sign that you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so if you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And so if you're, you might be saying, well, no, I'm really feeling God's presence. I'm feeling empowered, but you're not praying in tongues. So you don't have the Holy Spirit. You haven't been filled. You haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was the theology that grew out of that. Now, Pentecostalism is a wonderful uh, force in the church even today. Thousands of Pentecostal missionaries going around the world, bringing it huge revivals around the world. Pente- I mean, if you go to third world countries, you go to other countries other than the United States, most of them are Pentecostal. And, and I mean, God, it's, it is a blessing to the church body. And all movements, you know, have weaknesses. I think the weakness there is to make tongues the, the sign of the filling or baptism or anointing of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, um, I would have to say that I probably lean more to the Pentecostal side when it comes to the whole idea of experiencing God and the value and the beauty of the gift of tongues. And, 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 and Jack Hayford wrote a book and he called it The Beauty of Spiritual Language. So maybe that's a better way to put it, spiritual language. Or some people just refer to it as a prayer language. And uh, it, it, it makes it something a little more easy for us to grasp. But some people uh, historically still you know, have some, um, some sort of memory of, of uh, a family member or someone who uh, went to a church and was told they weren't uh, filled with the Spirit because they didn't pray in tongues. It's even some splinter groups off the Pentecostal movement developed the theology that you weren't saved if you didn't speak in tongues. And so that, too, would, would cause anxiety and, and disruption and pain uh, for people. So um, the, the Pentecostal movement is still going strong. And as I said, just really a force of God in evangelizing the world. Uh, in, in the late 50s, early 60s, the charismatic movement came along. Uh, really a renewal of Holy Spirit ministry among mainline denominations that uh, had not experienced Holy Spirit in the way that the Pentecostals had. And they valued tongues, and it was, it was uh, an important gift, but maybe in some cases overemphasized. I don't think they, most, Pen- most charismatic churches didn't adopt the same theology as the Pentecostals, that it was the only sign of the filling and baptism of the Spirit. But nevertheless, 
if, if I'm so excited about a gift I've gotten and I come to you and I, oh, that's all I talk to you about. You've got to have this too. You've got to have this too because it's so wonderful. It's such a blessing and I want you to have it too. And you need to get it. You need to seek it. Blah, blah, blah. I heard this. I heard that. All you have to do is this, this, this. Then it can become overemphasized and it could cause a relational pain and heartache there as well. Now, the gift itself doesn't do that. Okay, the gift itself is beautiful and powerful and something that uh, is an incredible blessing. But we as uh, imperfect human beings take really, really good things and sometimes uh, (laughs) we just don't wrap them up in love. You know, we let the thing become more important than love. That's why in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, all about the public use of the gifts, 13 is all about love. It's got to be wrapped in love. Whether you're prophesying, whether you're preaching, whether you're exercising discerning of spirits, whether you're using the gift of hospitality or helps or management or whatever, it's got to be wrapped in the love of Jesus. And so, um, you know, we look at this. I want to help you look at it in a fresh way. Because anybody that's here today, and when you hear tongues you have immediate defensiveness rise up within you. I I just want to say there might be some wounding needs to be healed there. And just open that up to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and just say, yeah, yeah, if there is, just bring that right now. I want to receive it. If if any of us, why don't we do that right now, okay? Just for any of us that are totally weirded out by this or have some past pain associated with it, just, Lord, here's my heart. If there's something there that needs healed, Lord, heal it. Anyone I need to forgive, I, I, I want to do that too. God, I just release that to you. Holy Spirit, come. Yeah, you know, if, uh, if anyone has been taught to be afraid of this gift... And, um, and fear that somehow there'll be spiritual deception involved in it. That if I open up to the gift of tongues, then wow, Satan is going to just have a field day with me. Uh, I'm going to get deceived and I'm going to get whacked by the devil. And man, that's going to be dangerous stuff. So I just want to stay away from it because I'm afraid I'll be deceived. Um, that's how I was. That's really truly how I was. When I first started to believe the gifts of the Spirit could be alive, and have Randy here just brings us all back to me so vividly because uh, we, we met during these whole months. And uh, I, when I first started saying, oh, God, I want to experience your presence, I, I would literally pray and I would say, the God I'm praying to is the God of creation who has existed as a trinity for all eternity past. He cre- you created the world. And man rebelled against you, and then you sent your son Jesus to be born of a virgin. I mean, I would go through this whole litany because I was so afraid of somehow getting spiritually deceived. And then when I did receive uh, the a prayer language, for a year, I would evaluate it. I would, I would say, okay, and I'd pray a sentence, and then I'd stop, and I'd think, now, does that make sense? Does that just sound like I just went yabba dabba do over and over again? <laughs> or one friend said this. He said, I bought a Honda. I should have bought a Toyota. 
He said, if you just say that real fast, I bought a Honda, I should have bought a Toyota. Uh, you know, I, I was just afraid that I was deceiving myself like that. <laughs> and so I'd pray a sentence and then I'd evaluate it. How many times did I say this vowel? How many, does that sound like a sentence? Does that sound like there's any structure to it? Could that be, and on and on and on. And so, of course, I'm struggling with this. And um, it was a year, and I, it, once we moved to Champaign, I was sitting with the, the staff of the Champaign Vineyard, and we were in a prayer meeting, a dozen of us, and um, not a whole lot happening, but the guy beside me, um, Ben Hare, who was the executive pastor of the church, he started praying in his prayer language, and, and he just, uh, just going to repeat this just so you know what I heard, but he just went, ta ta Something like that over and over and over again. That's the kind of thing I would have judged, all right? I would have thought, oh, that's crazy. But, um, I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm not going to judge that anymore. But what happened when he, when he prayed that way was, Holy Spirit, just like a downdraft. You know, if you've ever seen these pictures of a downdraft where the wind just all comes straight down and then it just rolls out. The Holy Spirit revealed his presence in the room like this downburst. It was just like, whoof, in the room. And I thought, you know, that didn't sound like it had any sentence structure to me. And I look at it now and I think it probably was one word that he was just repeating over and over again. But it, it freed me from judging it, judging myself on it. And it freed me just to say, okay, God, this is a good gift. I'm going to use it. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And at the same time, I had a friend of mine that referred me to uh, Luke 11, Verses 11 through 13, which says, uh, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. And then it goes on to say, for uh, whoever asks, receives, etc. And then he says, um, if, you, if, if, a, if a son asks his father for a loaf of bread, he doesn't give him a stone. And if he asks him for an egg, he doesn't give him a scorpion or he doesn't give him a serpent. And he says, if you humans know how to be good fathers to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? And so look that passage up. I don't have it uh, lined up to come up on the screen. But uh, my friend who was a vineyard pastor challenged me. And he said, Van, he said, you have more confidence in Satan than you do in God. He said, you think Satan can jump in and do something when your God, your Father, is telling you if you ask for the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to, I just want to free you from fear over this. Anyone who's afraid of deception, I, in Jesus' name right now, be free from that. Just be free from that. There's no need for that. Okay, so what is this gift? And, and how does it operate? I, I want to share a brief story to kind of give the thrust of this. A guy named uh, Sandy Miller, who uh, was the pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton Church in England, which is the church that started the Alpha program. I mean, how many of us here know about Alpha? Yeah, all right, awesome. Um, he started Alpha, and we saw him at an Alpha conference, and he was telling about how when he, he first prayed in uh, tongues or in a prayer language. And, uh, and he said this, he said he had kind of decided he didn't need it. And it was, you know, he was an Englishman and he was intellectual and wasn't necessary. And, and God spoke to him and said, uh, Sandy, I need someone 
to pray and to invite my kingdom to come in. I need someone to pray so that my kingdom will break in. And you know, God, we we are in like this crazy partnership with God because he has decided to give us authority over the earth. That's That's why he put Adam and Eve here. And we gave it up. And then Jesus got it back for us. And so God works primarily in response to our prayers. Now he can just, he can just sovereignly step in and say, hey, okay, I've got this one and, and work. And he does that. But primarily he works in response to our prayers. And so God's telling Sandy Miller, I need someone that will pray so that my kingdom can come. And Sandy said, well, okay, Lord, I'll be that man. Tell me what you want me to pray. And he said, God responded to that and said to him, oh, you think you're capable of fully comprehending what my will is for this earth? And what that did was to humble his intellect and for him to recognize, okay, even on my best day, I could not fully comprehend the mind of God. You know, the scripture says God's, God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so what God was saying was, look, what I need to have prayed is up in this realm, in the above your ways, in the above your thoughts realm. And so Sandy Miller then was humbled and said, okay, then if that's the case, then I'll I'll take this gift if that's what I need in order to call out to you and to have you work the way you want to work in this world. And so it's it's a powerful um, and, and wonderful and and beautiful thing and a beautiful gift. And if you ask what is definition, how would I define it? I'd define it pretty simply. I would just simply say it is a spirit, a Holy Spirit given ability to pray in a language I don't know. Holy Spirit given ability to pray in a language that I don't know. So it doesn't come from my intellect. It's not that I have studied Mandarin Chinese and I'm going to pray in Mandarin. No, it is uh, possibly that I'm going to pray in Mandarin without studying it or even knowing that that's what I'm praying in, possibly. Because it can be real languages. But uh, also in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the Apostle Paul referred to, uh, and he said this, "If if I speak in the tongues of men, in the languages of men and of angels, but I don't have love, then I'm just like a gonging symbol or a noisy, clanging, useless bell or whatever. And so he's, he's acknowledging there at least the potential that there are prayer languages that are not attached to an earthly language group. So it could be a real language. It could be a language that is something that is a heavenly language, an angelic language that we, that we just don't grasp. Now, there are four things that happen. One of them is praise, worship. Praise and worship is the first. Second is sometimes there is this evangelistic effect to this using a prayer language. Third is a corporate prayer impact when we're with other believers, a corporate ministry type of impact. And then the fourth is devotional. And as I've shared, the devotional is something that we infer from reading um, Paul's writings. So first place we see tongues in the New Testament is in Acts 2. 
And by the way, the vineyard movement um, sprung up in the late 70s and 80s. And while we have this incredible value and thirst and hunger for experiencing the presence of God in worship, and we value the gift of uh, spiritual language, we haven't attached it to being filled with the Spirit in an inseparable way. In other words, a person could be filled with the Holy Spirit without praying in tongues. You could have gifts released into you and and walk in those gifts and walk in healing and prophetic uh, even without the gift of tongues. Now, at the same time, we highly value it. But uh, we, we have had that distinction from um, Pentecostalism and even from some of the more extreme versions of the charismatic movement, uh, which we are charismatic, by the way. So, uh, Acts 2.4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, at least 120 of them, and they're in this upper room. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here they are in this upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told them to do. They're waiting and they're praying. And all of a sudden, one day, this downburst of God's presence comes. They hear, they hear wind, rushing wind, a sound like wind. And then they see like fire coming down. And fire resting on them and touching them. And they break out speaking in these other languages. Now, in addition to that, they are impacted physically by the presence of the Holy Spirit to such a way, to such a degree that some of them are affected in the way they walk. And, and the people around who are watching conclude that they're drunk. And here's something that's significant. Somehow they got out of that upper room down into the street. They didn't just stay in that upper room and say, this is wonderful. Someone locked the doors. Let's just stay here and enjoy this forever. No, they're, they're coming down out of the building somehow, just intuitively, and they just know. And they're out in the streets, and they're praying in these tongues, and some of them are stumbling a little bit because the Holy Spirit's on them. And when the Holy Spirit comes on us, our bodies... While we are fully redeemed, we haven't fully experienced that redemption in our bodies yet. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit, in His presence when He comes on us, it's kind of short circuits things. And sometimes that means the knees get weak or you lose, you lose um, you know, some of the stability when you walk. And so some of them are, are, are experiencing that and they're thinking they're drunk. But they're praying in these languages, at least 16 different known languages... I'm going to assume more than that because there were 120 of them. But at least 16 different known languages. And this was on a holiday, uh, day of Pentecost. So there, there are Jews there from all around the Mediterranean world to worship for this holiday. And so they're all hearing these believers uh, calling out, praying, and singing out the praises to God, praise and worship in, lang- in their own home language. And they're saying something's up. How do all these people know these languages? Aren't these people are Galileans mainly? And that's the uneducated uh, group in, in, that, in that culture. And so they knew something was up and it attracted their attention. And Peter stood up and he preached a message. And 3,000 people accepted Jesus that day. And so from this we see a couple of things. One, tongues can be associated with just this powerful infilling of the Holy Spirit. But it, it results in praise. Tongues are praise and worship to God. And it can have the impact of evangelism, effective evangelism. Um, a guy named Jack Hayford 
who uh, pastored a four-square church, which is part of the Pentecostal movement, of one of the streams or one of the subsets of the Pentecostal movement, and a great leader in the church, is a godly man. Uh, he wrote a book called The Beauty of Spiritual Language. And in that book, he told a story about being on a plane. And in this plane, he was seated beside a Native American. And as they introduced themselves, that, that became clear. And Jack felt like God was leading him to pray in his prayer language for this guy. And he's trying to figure out, how do I do this without making this the weirdest thing that's ever happened in the world? And so he's figuring that out. So he says, okay, he says, you know, he says, you're a Native American and you have a, a, a Native American tribal language that you know. And somehow that had come out. And he said, do you mind? He said, I, I've learned these uh, a, a few phrases in another language that I don't know. Do you mind if I share them with you and see if you recognize any of them? And he said, no, that's fine. And so Jack said he started praying in his normal prayer language. And he said as soon as he started, it shifted. The, the whole thing just like shifted. And a different, different language came out than he was normally used to in his prayer language. And he prayed for 15 seconds, 20 seconds. And then said, do you recognize that by any chance? And the guy said, that is the mother tongue to my tribal tongue. And he said, I understand it. He said, what you were describing was a man standing in an open field with both of his arms raised and praising the great spirit. Isn't that incredible? So, yeah, if that doesn't open up an evangelistic opportunity, nothing ever will, let me tell you. And so what he was picturing was someone out in the field praising God, uh, Father, Jesus, and worshiping him. But it can have this evangelistic impact at times. That took a lot of nerve for him, didn't it? Remember that video last week? That was 20 seconds of insane courage, wouldn't you say? That was it. I'm going to tell you, when it comes to this gift, it takes about 20 seconds of insane courage. That's what it takes to receive it in the first place. And then God ever wants you to, to use it in any way other than for personal devotions. But it's powerful. And so it can have this evangelistic effect. But then there is a more corporate use of it. Um, as I've already said, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 addresses that. And the, um, the uh, Corinthians were going crazy with the gift of tongues. It, uh, it had some allure to them because of their culture. It had some, um, some sense of uh, significance and pride that that's all. Everybody wanted to stand up front and pray in tongues. Or everybody wanted just to stand up where they were and shout out a message in tongues. And so Paul's really, his purpose is to kind of like bring that under, you know, let's get some biblical, let's get some good teaching on this as to how this ought to function. And so um, we see here in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5, he starts off by saying, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Okay, that first phrase, I want, uh, literally it should be, I wish, I desire. My desire would be that all of you pray in tongues. And what I think Paul's doing there is not issuing a command or a standard of God's will. He's just saying, he, he, wants, to, he wants to express to them how highly he values this gift. 
because he's in the process of saying some things that could make them think he doesn't value it. And so, hey, listen, this is a fan. I mean, I'd love it if every one of you spoke in tongues is what Paul's saying. But when you're gathered with other believers, I'd much rather see everybody prophesy because prophecy is uh, this incredible gift that releases directly to the other person something about what God wants to say to them at the moment. And tongues doesn't do that unless it's interpreted. And if it's interpreted, then the other people there can say amen to it. Because tongues is a prayer. It is speaking to God. And so the interpretation would also be speaking to God. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you know, in the process of my message, I, I, I kind of like slipped out with sharing a little bit of my prayer language as I was telling my story and then um, went ahead and gave a message in tongues and I had Luke interpret it. Well, Luke offered to interpret it. And so Luke's interpretation was a prayer to God. Luke, would you come up here? And is there a mic up here anywhere? I'm going to have Luke tell you how he got that interpretation, okay? How many of you were here for that? Okay, a lot of you were. If you weren't here for that... It was kind of like an accident. I was just saying, okay, and here's how I received my prayer language. And I let a few lines come out. And then I thought, oh, we have to interpret that now. And then I thought, no, it was just an illustration. We don't, then I thought, no, that's not fair. We've got to really do it. And so I prayed in my prayer language for 15 seconds. And then Luke put his hand up and said he had the interpretation. How did you get that? So as Van was giving the message... I close my eyes. A lot of times when I close my eyes, it helps me focus in on what God is saying. And I saw the word glory go through my mind's eye, you know, just kind of like a word flashed in my mind. And so I asked God, like, um, what, 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 what are you trying to say about glory? And I was reminded of a verse in Exodus where Moses prays to God, show me your glory. And then God responds with this really powerful word. And so I felt like I was saying that what Van was praying for all of us was, God, show us your glory. Okay, so, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Luke. Thanks. And so Luke came up here and in English prayed a prayer saying, God, show us your glory. We're here. We're hungry to see your glory. We want, we want more of you. And somehow when you combine those two things, there's just presence and power released. I don't fully understand that, but that's what happens. And so thanks, Luke. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so uh, verse 14 and 23, Paul has concern for the larger church gathering and what, what, does, what happens that communicates with them. And so he says this, 14.23, he says, if therefore the whole church comes together, and that, this is one of the reasons we say these chapters are about the public use of these gifts, and uh, all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus, enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Okay, so if instead of having announcements and a message... If we were into about our 30th message in tongues by this time, without any interpretation, what would a, a, someone just coming in saying, man, I need to get right with God, what would they be thinking? They'd be thinking, uh, what, what is this? I came to the, the, I didn't know this church was in a foreign language. They, they, it would be confusing to them. 
And so Paul has this great concern. Uh, This is one of the reasons that we've never made space for just the open use of this gift in our weekend services. And uh, if we do ever, it will be under some wisdom and direction with people that we know and and trust and are gifted uh, in these things. Because otherwise, when you have this many people here, who knows what, I mean, you know, I've said this in the past, some of you are crazy. And, uh, and, and we need to accept that. We know that. You can say that right back at me if you want to, okay? Um, so that, that's why we haven't opened it up to public use here. But we'd encourage it in uh, small groups. We'd encourage it in classes that we have. If we have a special service where it's a Holy Spirit night, something like that, yeah, man, that, that's the time then for us uh, to use this gift. But uh, Paul's concern for the outward focus um, leads us to that. He goes on to say this in 27 and 28. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. All right, so here he's saying... That the gift of tongues is not an uncontrolled ecstatic experience that I just had to let out because God told me to. It's not that. No, he's saying it's, it's, it's a cooperative thing with God. And so it's not like, uh, um, uh, it's, you know, like it's, it's like, well, you, you can't tell me not to do that because God's bursting out of me with this. No, it's obvious here that, uh, that that's not the case. That, and secondly, that, um, it needs to be interpreted. In fact, there needs, you need to know there's someone there gifted in interpretation. Okay, I almost missed on that the other week because as I was giving it, I was thinking, okay, well, who's going to interpret this? And then I said, well, our Sockham students should. And then Luke, one of our staff members, got the interpretation. Now, if I'm in a group with Luke again, I'm going to say, you know, Luke, I think, is, is gifted in this. And so I'm going to feel freer to exercise the gift because I know someone there that, that has proven themselves to accurately interpret. Does that make sense? Okay, but still, that's, this, this, this is why we don't open it up here on Sunday mornings because um, if we did, every time we had a tongue given, we'd have to take 15 minutes out of the service to explain it. And, and then that, that's all we'd ever do. And then it would become overemphasized as, as our public meeting. And so... Um, so there's this public use of it. There's also the devotional use of it. And in the devotional use in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, uh, this is a phrase, this is a verse I could not get beyond when I was trying to decide if the gift of tongues was still alive today and what would be the purpose of it. And um, Paul said this. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you to the Corinthian church. Well, where did Paul speak in tongues more than everybody? Not in the public meetings because he goes on to say, but in public I'd rather give five words in a known language. So Paul prayed in a devotional prayer language when he was alone with God. And he had this, this prayer language that he used that communicated to the heart of God in this unique way. That's what this gift does. Uh, it builds up the person who, who uses it. In uh, 14.4, it says the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. 
in 14.2, it says that it connects us with God in a way that is described here as uh, somewhat mystery. That there are things that go beyond our intellect that are happening. And so he says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. So it is a prayer. It's talking to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And so it is the communication of things that might be mysterious to us and things we don't understand. The Holy Spirit takes those things and communicates them back to God when we pray in, in this, in this uh, devotional prayer language. And you see that in um, Romans eight twenty six and 27. I know I'm going through these verses rapidly, but um, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. Okay? I mean, I, I, let's say I'm praying for one of my kids, and I know certain things to pray for them, and I pray those in English, and then I pray them again, and I pray them again. I mean, there comes a point where there's something that I want to pray for them that goes beyond what I understand or know or can even could understand, even if God tried to explain it to me, goes beyond my understanding. And so, Lord, here I am, you know, for my son or my, ch- my daughter, and, and, and I pray in my prayer language in order to express to God what is on his heart for that person. And so I want to say this, and if, and if nothing else happens as a result of these messages than this, if you have a prayer language right now, Are you using it? That's my question. If you have received a prayer language, are you using it? And I beg you to begin using it. You've got to start praying. You've got to start using that prayer language. I've already set the boundaries for here. That's that's not the issue. The issue is I'm going to go alone. I'm going to pray for the church leadership for wisdom. And, oh, God, give them wisdom because blah, blah, blah. And I come to the end of that, and then I just start praying in my prayer language. Oh, God, for, for our church leadership here. Oh, God, for the nations here. And, and maybe there's a nation that God's put on my heart, and I pray what I know, and then I pray in the prayer language because that's going to communicate the mysteries that I don't know to God. And then God's going to be able to respond to that and release his blessing and pour out his presence. Does that make sense? Okay, so I I implore you, if you have a prayer language, use it. Pray for me. Pray for our church leadership. Pray for the church body. Pray for our outreach and effectiveness. Uh, Pray for Randy Terrell as he plants a new church, okay? Do that, man. Use the prayer language for that because there's power in it. Now, um, last thing is praise. Uh, Obviously, it's uh, uh, singing in the Spirit. He talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. 14 through 5, he says, I'll pray with my mind, and I'll also pray in the Spirit. I'll sing with my mind, and I'll sing in the Spirit. So worship in the Spirit. Worship in your prayer language. Do that too. Sing. Make up a melody and sing to God in that language. Um, Smith Wigglesworth was an old-time Pentecostal guy that uh, saw phenomenal things happen. And in his book, uh, one of his books, he tells about a woman that was wakened up in the night and she was praying for these missionaries that she knew that were in, I believe it was Africa. And uh, she started praying in her prayer language for them. And when she did, she had a vision 
of these three men come into her mind. One of them was lying on a cot in the hut, and the other two were over him praying. And in this vision, uh, as she was praying for them, they both stood up and walked out of the hut. And she kept praying and kept praying, and eventually uh, this man stood up and walked out of the hut. And months later, when she saw them, she said, all right, on X date, at X hour, what was happening? And they said, well, Joe was deathly ill. And we were in a hut praying for him. And he wasn't getting any better. And we came to the point that in despair, we didn't know what else to do. We walked out of the hut. And then I don't know the time lapse, but he then was healed. And he walked out of the hut some point in time afterwards, which is exactly what this woman had seen and exactly what she was praying. She was praying in the spirit. She was praying in her prayer language and she was able to ask God for something that those guys there didn't connect with somehow. And it it brought healing to this man. Isn't that awesome? I mean, our prayers of any type with the mind and with the spirit can impact all the way around the world. And so it's, it's just powerful stuff. Now, we're going to go into worship here. Worship team is going to make their way up. And what I want to say is this. There is a more foundational issue than simply praying in tongues or not praying in tongues. A much more foundational issue. And, and that is this. Do I want greater intimacy with God? Okay, do I want greater intimacy with God? Am I willing to say, God, whatever it takes, if I look foolish, if I feel foolish, it's okay. I just want to know you better. You know, if I have that heart and I'm pressing into knowing him no matter what the cost, tongues is a side issue. That'll take care of itself if you're supposed to get that gift. The real thing is taking my heart before God. Oh, God, I want to know you. And I'm not going to say no to anything. I'm not going to start off with limitations of saying, well, I want to know you as long as it doesn't involve blah, blah, blah. No, we've got to remove those things and then just press into him. And um, the, rest, you know, the rest of this, yeah, I think it will work itself out, okay? So let's stand and worship, all right? Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I invited leaders down to worship. I, I know there are going to be a, a lot of young adults who will come down here. I want and, and people of all ages to come down here and worship with us, okay? Come on down to the front. There's something about the focus of this. There's something about the lack of distractions, about just the physical act of saying, well, okay, I'm not going to worry about what the person beside me thinks. I'm just going to do it. So if you're a leader in the church, would you join me in coming down here to the front and praying, would you? And just, or worshiping, just make your way all the way up to the front so there's room for other people to fill in. So especially if you're a small group leader, if you are um, in the ushering team or work the children or teens or whatever, would you make your way down here and worship with us? And then anybody else that wants to is more than welcome to come down and be part of this, please. Thank you. Oh, oh. 